And can you believe we're back again, Tyler? I am so excited about this week's episode. Well, that makes one of us. Okay, well, I'm glad that I'm present. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's good to be back. This is Justin and Tyler, Classic Vinyl Podcast, and today we are going to be reviewing the Zombies, Odyssey, and Oracle. Zombies, zombies. No, wrong, wrong zombie. Oh, I'm sorry. That's a, that's a song, but different. Rob Zombie. No, wrong zombie. I am so, I, I'm lost. Yes, you are. I've always been lost. But Odyssey and Oracle is kind of an interesting album because as we'll get into a little later, it's considered kind of a cult classic and one of the better mm-hmm. albums of all time. And we'll decide what we both think of that when it gets to the end. But let me get right into it and give a little bit of history on the band. Buckle up, hippies. Here we go. So the Zombies, they're a British rock band. They were formed in 1961, obviously in England, which that's what makes them British. Mm-hmm. Uh, they consist of Colin Blundstone on vocals, Rod Argent, keyboardist and vocals. And Rod Argent famously is also known for forming the band Argent, which had a pretty big hit with Hold Your Head Up. I think a lot of people know that song. He formed that after this band had disbanded. I believe okay. it was 1969. Paul Atkinson on guitars. Hugh Grundy on drums, and originally was Paul Arnold on bass, but he was quickly replaced by Chris White very early in the band's history. Now, the band's name originally was the Mustangs, but they had to change the band name because apparently, we hear this all the time, bands have these names and they have to change it because they find out there was another band under that name. Yeah. And so they change it to the Zombies. They actually signed a contract with Decca Records in 1962, and you know, shortly after that, had a pretty big hit. Hit number 12 with She's Not There. It hit number 12 in the UK, but actually hit number two in the US. It was certified gold in the US as a single as well. So they they hit it off pretty quick. They're one of the bands of the famous British Invasion. They came to the US and toured the US in 1965. All in all, the band has released nine studio albums, but let's be real, they really only released two albums in the 60s. And then they had a third one they had recorded in the 60s, but it didn't get released until the year 2000. Oh, wow. And they have released seven other albums as a band or different forms of the band, but those all come after 1990, so we try not to count them, right? What the hell else are they holding on to? (laughs) I'm not quite sure. They had, out of the singles released, they had three singles in the top ten. She's Not There that I just told you about hit number Mm -hmm. two. Time of the Season hit number three, which is on this album. Tell Her No hit number six. That a total of six singles that charted. Which isn't too bad for two studio albums, really, let's be honest. But it's a little surprising because when you listen to this album, these guys are very uh, exemplary of the British Invasion sound. Yeah, and it's funny you say that because I agree and disagree with that. Mm -hmm. But we'll we'll get into that more. I think certain songs of theirs are, but other ones are way off base as Mm -hmm. far as I'm concerned. But that could just be a matter of taste, right? Sure. They did have one EP in 1964, they've released six live albums, and like we've spoken a lot of times, this band had 20, count them, 20 compilation albums. <laughs> Most of those came way before they released all these later albums, so these are greatest hits and things like that. So you can you can look at that as laughable, or you can say, you know, that's pretty impressive that the band sure. you know can release basically release two studio albums in the 60s and, and off of that get 20 compilation albums. I chuckle, but... Man, that is impressive. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. Because th- that's successful. Th- those albums sold. Yeah, so the band on this album we're doing tonight, which was their second studio album, the band split soon after this album. 
1967. And they got together again for a short time in 1969 without the lead singer, Colin mm-hmm. Blundstone, and it just didn't last. Yeah. And they've had multiple reunions over the years, you know, here and there, different things going on. But there are four surviving members got back together in 2017 to tour for the 50th anniversary of this album, Odyssey and Oracle. It's Paul Atkinson that died. He died in 2004. So this band was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2019 after being nominated three previous times. Now, this is where I have a big problem with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Nothing against the zombies, but the amount they've released and what they've done, and you can compare them to some other bands like Mm -hmm. Foreigner and some of these other bands that are huge had never even been hinted at the rock and roll hall of fame it's kind of a shame yeah it, the rock this is roll, a little obscure to be in there when there's so many other ones that aren't yeah and i consider myself a hypocrite a little bit because every time we talk about an album i tell you about the rock and roll hall of fame and i tell you how much i think it's a joke i tell you about rolling stones list and how much it's a joke but mm-hmm. i guess i'll just be continue to be hypocritical yeah that's just me, right? Well, we got to have some sort of a ruler to measure this by, right? Exactly. So they're still touring today with Rod Argent, Colin Blundstone, Steve Rodford, Tom Toomey, and Soren Coach. I don't know who where those guys come from, but that's just a brief history of the band. Soren, that's like a Swedish name. Yeah. Scandinavia. Yeah, it's something mm-hmm. like that. So do you want to get to the album review? Let's do it. And now it's time for the album review. Okay, so we're doing the zombies, Odyssey and Oracle, and Odyssey is spelled incorrectly, which we'll get to. O-D-E-S-S-E-Y. Yes, as opposed to O-D-Y-S-S-E-Y. That's right. This is the second studio album released from the zombies. It was released on April 19th of 1968. It was released by CBS Records in the UK and Date Records in the US. So this was recorded at the famous EMI studios that are known as Abbey Road Studios now Mm -hmm. and partially recorded at Olympic Studios, both in London. And when at EMI, they actually used the same four-track recording machine that the Beatles used on Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Uh Uh-huh, that's why it sounds like the Beatles. And see, that's where I think you're completely (laughs) wrong and you're pissing me off. I am going to piss you off. But we'll get to that. (laughs) So it was produced by the Zombies themselves. And the Zombies on this album, once again, are Colin Blundstone on vocals, Paul Atkinson on guitar, Rod Argent on keyboard and vocals, Chris White on bass and some vocals, and Hugh Grundy on drums. Yeah. Paul Atkinson's Rowan Atkinson's little brother, right? Yes, he must be. So critics originally dismissed this album, not as a poor album, not as a great album. It was just simply dismissed, you know, it was just Just kind of panned. Yeah. yeah. And they said it was okay, but that was about it. But over the years, it's gained quite a cult following, which I, Justin, for (laughs) one, do not understand. And I wanted to give this album a try because I do know the zombies hits, right? Yeah. This is hippie fuel. Yeah. I don't know. We're going to get into all this, but I've never, I've listened to this album a time or two in the past, Mm -hmm. but not sat down and listened to it seriously. And this was my first time really. Sure. So I want to know what all the hubbub was about it. And (laughs) I have my feelings. on. Now you know. (laughs) Yeah. Or maybe you don't. (laughs) You know, they originally said Odyssey on the album title was spelled incorrectly. I think they were they were saying it was a deliberate play on words to the word Ode. Odessey. But it did come out later that that was all a lie, and it was just misspelled. Just poor spelling. And they just had to roll with it, right? What dumbass. So, again. Well, yeah. then again, they didn't have spell check back then. So. 
And this is similar in one way. I wrote this note to the Beach Boys Pet Sounds, which we did release mm-hmm. an episode on earlier. Yeah. Where it was re- overlooked at its time of release, but it has become a you know a classic today, according mm-hmm. to a lot of people. I'd like to know who those people are and talk to them. But yeah. Uh, but similar to Pet Sounds in that these guys actually have a a Beach Boys harmony going on with them. A little bit in some things you hear mm-hmm. it. It's not it's not as heavy as the Beach Boys, but you do hear that little bit of harmony. Mm-hmm. There's a couple songs that, yeah. and I wrote those in the notes. You no, know, going sure. through Rolling Stone, they've ranked this album all over the place, but it's been as high as number eighty in their top five hundred. Now this album charted in the U.S. and not in the U.K., but it just barely charted in the U.S. at number ninety five. Now, the cover, it's a very psychedelic-looking cover. It's, oh, yes. <laughs> it's really hard to explain. It, it, it's a lot easier to explain if you drop uh, acid or take some mushrooms. <laughs> yeah, and this band notoriously is known for not being into drugs at all, being pretty straight. Yeah, but the album is... Well, I guess all of the all of the drugs are in the album cover. They must be. Because it looks like LSD. Yeah, the album cover was painted by a friend of Chris White named Terry Quirk. And mm-hmm. I'd suggest if you want to see it, go look it up, or maybe you already know what it looks like. Mm-hmm. But do you want to get to side one? Yep, spin it. Side one. Okay, so side one opens up with a song called Care of Cell 44. Now, this is a song written by Rod Argent, sang by Colin Blundstone. It's basically about a guy writing to his girlfriend who's still in prison. You know, he's <laughs> wanting to get her back. It's, <laughs> yeah. It's working title originally was called The Prison Song, which fits. Yeah, but why is she in prison? That's what we want to find out. Yeah, that that would be the good thing to know, wouldn't it? Yeah, but they'd never tell you. Now, this was released as the first single off this album. It did not chart in the UK or the US. It is the longest song on the album, just barely under four minutes. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on this song? I think it's understandable that it did not chart. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, It's a weird love song. This, uh, I I find... um, Listening to Rod Argent um, authored songs, he's kind of like a uh, songwriter version of Tim Burton. He's got a little dark side to him that's a little weird. Like, this is a real sweet little love song. And, I mean, this could be a Beatles love ballad. Except it's, it's got that little detail that she's in prison. <laughs> Why is she in prison? We don't know. Uh, was it shoplifting? Was it an assault on him? <laughs> He's just some abuse victim waiting for her to get out. Who knows? It's uh, a real happy-go-lucky sounding song juxtaposed with a darkness in the theme. <laughs> it's so it's so good. But once again, they've got this sound that could be Beatles, could be Beach Boys, and I, you're going to hate that, but they've got this harmony that sounds very much like the British Invasion. But it's not something that the Beatles or the Beach Boys would sing about. They're not going to sing about being in love with someone who's in prison. Well, now, the Beach Boys, keep in mind, they weren't part of the British invasion. No, they weren't. But these guys have that uh, harmony sound like the Beach Boys do. I really want to find out why she was in prison. Yeah, it'd be nice. So what are your thoughts on it? You know, this song wasn't too bad. And I do not get angry at you saying a Beach Boys and a Beatles sound because I kind of thought there was a section of this song that sounded like Penny Lane from the Beatles. I thought the Mm -hmm. harmonies, I wrote strict on my notes here, the harmonies remind me of the Beach Boys a little Mm bit. It's got a piano intro that goes into into the drums. I think the the song is mixed a little muddy. It's kind of hard to hear the lyrics. It's a good little pop song. It's got good bass in it. The way I look at it, it's a good little pop song with a dark subject. Yeah. 
And and you probably wouldn't even know it because it's mixed so muddy unless you're really sitting down and paying attention to the lyrics. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we got to know what this chick's in prison for. Yeah. What's going on? You know, or or maybe that's a metaphor. Who knows? Maybe she's not. You know, maybe she was just grounded by her parents or something. I I don't know the the whole thing. It was going to be called the prison song, and then it's care of cell forty four. This really sounds like they're literally singing about someone in prison. Yeah, it does. It, She's I mean, doing a nickel. It wasn't too bad of a song. I mean, it had even though there's parts of it that you know makes me think of Penny Lane or the mm-hmm. Beach Boys. It just doesn't quite come together. It doesn't. It, it's just kind of weird. Yeah. So. And like I said, it's kind of that Tim Burton writing music. It's just a little odd. Yeah. So it moves us on to the second song on the album, A Rose for Emily. Now, this song was written by Rod Argent again and sang by Colin Blundstone. title was based on a short story of the same name by American author William Faulkner. It was a book he published in 1930 that was about ne- necrophilia. How about that? No, that dark theme again. Yeah, see? there you go. Now, <laughs> now, they said it has nothing to do with the book, but... They just stole the title. I don't know about that because the song does focus on Emily's romantic mm-hmm. isolation and things. What are your thoughts on this one? Uh, it very much about that Emily's romantic isolation, and they sing about her as though she could. I mean, if you think about her being a corpse while they're singing this, it fits. If you think about her not being a corpse, it fits too. But it fits a little bit easier if you think about her being a corpse. Maybe she died in her cell. She could. Yeah, could be. Once again, this is another sweet little love song. But um, our Tim Burton of uh, songwriting, Rod Argent, he's made it just a little weird. Just a little odd. Thrown that um, dark element in that theme. Maybe he, maybe he didn't. You know, he's going to... Say they didn't and argue they didn't, but I still call him Tim Burton. <laughs> it fits to me. All, all in all, not an unpleasant song to listen to, but I'd say it's not my favorite. It's just, it fits the album. I'll tell you that. What did you think about it? I mean, it's okay. You're right. It fits the album. It's It's got another piano intro on it. It's got decent harmonies, which I thought were the best thing about it. There's not a rose left for a grave. I know that. They say that in the lyrics. The one reason I don't, since British Invasion on these songs is because we're yet to hear a guitar. Yeah. And that's something I've either got to have from a group or they've got to show me something super special, you know, a la Pet Sounds to make up for it. And I'm just not getting that so far in this, you know. (laughs) It's an upbeat song again, kind of. It's kind of an upbeat love song, but once again, it's a dark subject. Nothing really to write home to for me. Yeah, I, I had to wait two more songs before I picked up the guitar of that um, British Invasion sound. Yeah. So the next song's Maybe After He's Gone. This one's written by Chris White and sang by Colin Blundstone. It's basically written about a guy clinging to a lost love, you know, and he's thinking, okay, maybe after I'm gone, she will come back and love me again. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> I don't know if that's meaning once he's dead or if he's leaving the home. I, I don't know. Is this dark? What are your thoughts on this one? My thoughts on this one are that this is just wishful thinking. This is a guy who was dating a little out of his league. He lost out. She was stolen away by another guy. But this guy doesn't really have an understanding of women as being individual people which is probably why she left him in the first place. What he sees is like, well, 
that guy's taking a turn with my girl. And then as soon as, as soon as he leaves, then she's going to come back to me. Wishful thinking, bud. It's not going to happen. She's, uh, she's gone. She's gone for good. You need to move on. I'm psychoanalyzing the crap out of this song. <laughs> yes, you are. I am. You know, the, this band, it, it, this, uh, this song has a, that piano again, and it's a really good sound. These, uh, this song really gets that harmony and they, where they do the harmonizing like the Beach Boys. And it's, it's a good sound. Yeah, this guy is a total beta male. He's, he, he lost to the alpha and she's not coming back. I, I don't think so. What uh, what did you think? Kind of a little bit of the same. I I did get a hint of guitar in the intro, but there's a lot of piano in this song once again, and that's the third song in a row with a lot of piano. I don't have a problem with piano, but it should be used a little bit differently in rock and roll and maybe sparingly to a certain thing. It's got a decent mixed bass in the song. The drums, you can barely hear. They're mixed poorly to the back. I did put that I thought the harmonies were the best thing about this song. There's good harmonies in this song. Yeah. And that's something you mentioned as well. So I think that was one thing about this song. But for me, this is on par with the previous two. Nothing special. Nothing that all three of these songs so far through the album that I would really go back to. The piano seems like it really softens it up. And it softens it to the point that is this rock and roll? Uh, yeah. It, it's still rock and roll, but that piano really... It does. Yeah, it uh, waters it down. So the next song is Beachwood Park, written by Chris White, sang by Colin Blundstone. And this is a very cinematic sounding song. And it's basically singing about a love in the park and days they spent there, you know, mm-hmm. and about geography and weather being tangible, which is kind of a theme in this album, right? Yeah. And Beachwood Park is actually a real place in Flamstead, Hertfordshire, England, where mm-hmm. the band's actually from. So they had written this song or Chris White had written the song about his days spent in the park and I guess reflecting. What are your thoughts on this one? Uh, this one's a very British sounding song. This is the the song where I first uh, hit, get that British invasion sound where I'm like, okay, this is a, this is a, a band from England singing about home from a, a favorite memory of days gone by. Just reflecting on that. This is a, a song where uh, when homesickness uh, sets in, when they're on tour, they're going to pull it out and play it. It's got that harmonizing ending, but this is very much that British rock of the era. There's just something about it that really is reminiscent of a sound that I hear from a lot of the bands from Britain during this time. Am I wrong? I I don't really get a British sound from this. I thought this sounded very much like love. And Forever Changes, more specifically, that we once reviewed. And Love had come out with Forever Changes about, I believe, six months previous to this album. And this song reminded me of that very much. So whether Love was copying a British Mm -hmm. sound or these guys were copying Love, I don't know. But it did sound similar. Now that you mention it, yeah. It does have somewhat of a haunting keyboard throughout, which... It's kind of cool sounding, but it doesn't go with the rest of the song very well. It's almost, it it stuck out a little bit to me. It's got some cool tremolo sounds that are kind of cool little additions to it. And once again, I thought this song was okay. It didn't have a lot of piano in it like the previous three songs, but it it really wasn't anything special to me. You know, it didn't jump out at me. That brings us to the next song, Brief Candles. Now, this one was written by Chris White, and this is sang by Colin Blundstone, Rod Argent, and Chris White all together. The title comes from a short story from Aldous Huxley, which I've read a couple of his books. Very interesting. Uh, It's basically telling a story about a breakup and 
how the love they had burned out as time went by, basically like a candle, right? Mm-hmm. What, are you, what are your thoughts on this one? This is a, a really good song that make, made me think a lot. It starts off with an acapella opening, and uh, once again, we get that really strong uh, harmonizing from these guys, and they're really good. This is a song about a guy who thought he could do better, so he broke up with his girl, but then as a result of that, she worked on herself. She's the one who ended up thriving while he floundered. And then he goes pining for her, wanting her back, but she's moved on. Time would show him that he also needs to work on himself and move on. There is no going back. That relationship's over. And that's kind of the whole thing about the brief candles is that when we get together in these short little uh, relationships, if if it's not a perfect fit, then they're not the one move on that's kind of what it is is you you can burn these little flames these little candles but as soon as the the wick is gone then you know accept it and move on i really enjoyed the song you know once again i'm psychoanalyzing the crap out of this band but this song sounds really nice too it's a it's a pleasant rock and roll usually i'm not a fan of the acapella but these guys do their harmonizing i think that they do this on purpose they drop the the backup instruments in order to focus on the on their voice and it I don't mind it the way I would with modern acapella groups I like this song what did you think well it's definitely another piano song which makes you know basically four out of five on this album being heavy piano the acapella portion although I thought the harmonies were good I didn't really like it I liked when it kicked into the chorus could because it kicks in with good bass and it's like a quick, heavy British-sounding pop song, and then it kicks back down to the acapella and back and forth. And so I thought the harmonies were good, but it didn't fit with the chorus. True. I thought the whole song should have been kind of based off of what the chorus sounded like to be a fast, speedy song. I just didn't like the verses with the piano only in the acapella, but I did like the verses in this song, and that's the verses in this song of are my favorite thing on this album to this point. So it brings us to Hung Up on a Dream, the next song. It's written by Rod Argent and sang by Colin Blundstone. Now, this song supposedly has a heavy psychedelic bridge and chorus. I don't, you know, and people have said that in reviews and things, and it's okay. I still get another love feeling on this, the Mm -hmm. band love. And most people think this song is about the summer of love and how those ideals were you know, only instilled in young people in a very naive train of thought to those ideals. Yeah, it's kind of about that. What are your thoughts on this one? Grow up hippies is a note that I have written. Down yeah, that, that's basically yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, starts there's the piano again. The piano. piano again opening. The guitar bridge has a a very classic sound to it. I really like that guitar bridge. The psychedelicness or the psychedelia of it. Yeah, there's a little bit, but I wouldn't say that. Oh man, this is the epitome of psychedelic. No, this is. It fits, but I mean, this is a song about hippies, the summer of love, you know, young, strong, and free. It's a good song about that summer of love, but it's a song for a very special time. There's a couple of things that bother me about it because this is kind of a mess of sound and they, the way that they mixed it, I feel like the singing gets drowned out, so I can't really follow it. What did you think about that? Well, that was one of my main notes I wrote on this, is that this is mixed very muddy, and it's very tough to hear the lyrics. Oh, so I'm not the only one. No, so I echo that with you. But once again, it's another heavy piano-driven song, so that's five out of six. 
And to me, that's just overkill on it instead of making things sound a little different. Once again, like I stated, this sounds like love a little bit to me, but not done as well. It does have a good bass line in it. The drums are very faint, and I don't know if that's just because that's the way they were mixed or or what. You can hear them, but they're very faint. And there is a tiny hint of a guitar solo in there that was kind of promising, but didn't really lead to much. But it was okay. The mixing on this album so far, as we finish outside one, I think has been poor. And I think the piano has been used way, way too much. That's my opinion. Sure. So. Hippies, here's what I have to say about side one. Hippies don't play the piano. They play their guitars. They play drum circles out in the park. Put the guitar, put the drums in. Well, I like a piano song just as much as anybody else here mm-hmm. and there, but I just don't want the whole album to be piano driven. Sure. Right? It's a little too, uh, I don't know what they're trying to do. I'm not even sure what I'm, what word I'm looking for. It just, it doesn't really fit. Do you want to go to side two? Yeah, flip the album. Side two. Okay, so side two of the album opens up with a song called Changes. Now, this one was written by Chris White again, sang by Colin Blundstone, and basically about placing the moods of a woman in context of the changing seasons. Basically talking about a girl that changes a lot, right? Yeah. I don't know if you're saying she has split personalities or what he's saying here. Maybe that's a nice way to say it. And, you know, the, the lyrics really do reflect sadness about how time has changed and how, you know, Chris White's written of how he has loved her and everything's changed. I don't know. It's kind of strange in that way. Yeah. But what are your thoughts on this one? It's got good music to it. I like the the way that it's composed. The lyrics are, are not bad. They're very thought-provoking lyrics. He, he says, I knew her when summer was her crown. And then you know he also later on says that he uh, knew her when winter was her cloak and uh, some things like that. I'm not exactly sure what... He's saying about that, but I guess summertime is the time when she shines. I I do say, once again, strongly psychoanalyzing this band, this is a, a, a big reason why I encourage people to date for a minimum of a year before getting married. And that's so that you can see them in all of the seasons, not just the seasons of the year, but see it. you have to see them in all the seasons of the year in order to see them in all the seasons of their personality and moods and all that. So give it time, you know, get to know the person. Is that what this song is about? I have no idea, <laughs> but I'm, I, I'm just looking way too much into the, the writing and it, it's a song that I enjoyed, but there's this, uh, was it a flute or an oboe? There's some sort of a wind I, instrument. I don't know if it was a flute or, or the sound of a keyboard that opens mm-hmm. it, which was what I was going to get into, is at least yeah. it wasn't a piano this time. Hey, yeah, we, we changed it from a percussion string to wind. And I do like the imagery of some of the lyrics, you know, peppermint coat, button-down clothes. I mean, there's good imagery in the lyrics. The harmonies, once again, are good in this, which yeah. that, so far for me, eight songs in the album, the harmonies are the only thing to write home about. But it's a very strange song, once mm-hmm. again. Very, I wouldn't even say dark, but just hard for me to understand what's going on. It's hard to grasp. They don't really get their point across. Yeah, and then they do the flute or the keyboard or whatever that is on the outro, and it's nothing special to me. I, I'm hoping for more on side two than what I got on side one. So far, the opening isn't a good start. Mm-mm. 
So the next song is I Want Her, She Wants Me. This one's written by Rod Argent again, sang by Colin Blundstone. Uh-oh. This is a little bit more of an upbeat song, and I did write in my initial notes that the song is a little more upbeat, like the Beatles' Penny Lane. It's probably the one most similar to the Beatles, even though I got angry at you for saying that. It, it's upbeat a little more. And it's, you know, this song's talking about the wonder and comfort of a first love that you think is very secure, you know, but it also hints, this song also hints at the girl's side of the story who's warning her lover about, you know, the relationship may fail like one of her previous relationships mm-hmm. that she may still be in love with. She's a little wiser. Yeah. Um, I yeah. think she just got out of prison. And so she's, so she's on the rebound. Yeah. She's on the rebound. What are your thoughts on this one? I think that this guy is the rebound. <laughs> <laughs> um rod argent oh i love this tim burton guy he's uh he's got that theme and there's so much repetition of this uh they i want her she wants me i want her she wants me is he tr- is he repeating himself so much that he's trying to convince himself of that especially at the outro he repeats oh, it outro. over like 30 yeah. times oh absolutely and it's just straight there is a, a sound in here where I swear it could be Paul McCartney singing Penny Lane. I don't know if Colin uh, Blundstone intentionally parodied or, or parroted Paul McCartney that way. It really sounded like it. But yeah, this is a song about a girl who's carrying a torch and uh, she's a little wise. He's still naive and wishful thinking. This is one of his first relationships and he's hoping that this is going to last forever because she wants him and he wants her and yeah, he wants her and she wants me, right? This was a song where it made me think of my dad. <laughs> okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share a little personal story here. My dad was dating a girl back at the time that this uh, album was released. She ended up getting with somebody else and marrying somebody else and he lost her. Well, just this year, my dad married her. So, I mean, this has been a long time of coming. This song is my dad's theme song. That being said, I haven't favorited it or at least favorited it yet, but we'll uh, we'll get to that later on. What? Where did this song hit you, Justin? Well, this is the first song we had to wait till song number eight that we didn't really have a piano intro. It has a good bass <laughs> intro, yeah. and it has good bass throughout. Mm-hmm. I yeah. thought that was the shining thing in this song. This is a more poppy, British invasion-sounding song. You know, I like the keyboard used throughout the song. The only thing I didn't like is the outro, I Love Her, She Wants Me, over and over and over again for about 30, 40 seconds. It was okay. This song's a little more upbeat, so it's a step in the right direction. It's better than anything else I've heard on the album so far. And I I would say that's due to the bass and leaving the piano pretty much non-existent on this song, but it's, it's a little more upbeat, which is in the right direction, I guess. So that moves us on to the next song, This Will Be Our Year, written by Chris White, sang by Colin Blundstone. This one was released as a single in the U.S. with This Will Be Our Year as the B-side, but it did not chart. Possibly, I did a lot of research on this, but it's possibly about a newer, renewed love and the optimism of what is to come in the relationship. And this is the shortest song on the whole album, just over two minutes long. So what did you think about This Will Be Our Year? I think it's a song full of optimism, and it's really upbeat. Looking forward to a good year together. It does hint that there might have been some struggles in years gone by, um, whether they were alone, whether they were together. It's not really spelled out. It leaves a lot for the imagination. Nice, short little song. I don't really have much more to say about it, though. What, what about you? I mean, it's... 
another piano intro to get back to that that goes into drumming which isn't too bad it's a little more upbeat i mean at least very least side two has been more upbeat on the songs than side one was nothing really special to me you know the thing i wrote down is lack of guitar Mm -hmm. i'm we're in nine songs into this album british invasion and i haven't heard hardly a whisper of guitar so that's really hard for me to hear because i've heard a lot of piano yeah well that's gonna throw you for a huge loop when you get to the next song yeah so the next song butcher's tale western front 1914 Mm -hmm. this was written by chris white and sang by Chris White, which is the only lead vocal Chris White ever sang for the Zombies. It's a very experimental song, and they use the Mellotron. Mm -hmm. And this Mellotron's a very famous Mellotron left in EMI Studios. It's John Lennon's Mellotron. Oh. So that's about the only special thing about this song. And, you know, this is that uh, accordion-sounding thing. Yeah, it was released as a single in the U.S. with with This Will Be Our Year as the B-side. It did not chart. It would have surprised me if it did. It's an anti-war song set during World War One, which Chris White had a ton of interest in World War One. But many people thought it was more of a reference to the Vietnam War, obviously, that was going on at the time. But, I mean, well, war protest is war protest, right? War in general ought to be avoided. I agree. So, mm-hmm. Butcher's Tale, what are your thoughts on this one? This song's out of left field. It does not fit the album whatsoever. This has nothing to do with any of the other songs. doesn't sound like any of the other songs. And I feel like I'm ripping the crap out of this song. And yet I love this song. I like World War I myself. And he's got some really amazing uh, imagery in there singing about hey, He's seeing one of his uh, friends that he knew back home who's now hanging on a on the barbed wire, lifeless. Like He's wondering if the priest that came to pray over them saw all the flies buzzing around, if he would still pray the same way. Uh, <laughs> this is, it's gritty. It's a dirty song, and I loved it. And it doesn't belong on the album. That's That's where I'm at. Where are you? Well, I'll say I'm ashamed John Lennon's Mellotron was on this song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I complete opposite of you. I didn't like mm-hmm. anything about this song. I do like the sound of the Mellotron, I guess. So I did like something. I like that intro and, mm-hmm. and maybe not even so much liked it. Just the fact that they did something different than the damn piano was okay. You know, the yeah. lyrics are very muddy in this. I think if anything, the lyrics are good and strong, mm-hmm. like you said, and very gritty, yeah. but the vocals I can hear are not good. The vocal is not good. There's a reason Chris White is not the singer and shouldn't be. I read that they they tried to record this with Colin Blundstone, but his vocal didn't fit up with it very well. Mm-hmm. And that really concerns me because I think Chris White is a horrible singer and it was mixed poorly. And I like the words to it. I do. I mm-hmm. like it. It's a good story. They, sh- they should have just allowed Chris White to hang this song on the fridge. And I'm, I actually disagree with you on the fact that it doesn't belong on this album, you know, maybe because it's got a Mellotron intro and not a piano, but this is a weird ass song. There's no guitar. It, there's no guitar. <laughs> there's no nothing. To me, it belongs on this album so far because this album, 10 songs into a 12 song album has been disappointing to me. And so this song belongs on the album because it's also disappointing. <laughs> so let's move on to Friends of Mine. Now, this one was written by Chris White and sang by Colin Blundstone. Now, this one I did put 
does sound Beatlesque to a certain point. This is a very upbeat song. The band names a bunch of couples they knew, and they're actual couples they knew that were in love. Oh, that's fun. And, and somebody had asked him a few years ago, five or six years ago, you know, are they still in love? And I guess only one of the couples are still together. They've either divorced or they're dead. Oh, wow. So take that for what it is. So what did you think of Friends of Mine? Oh, this is a fun song. Um, it It's fun to watch people in love, you know, especially young love that's new. Yes, it is an upbeat song. Yes, it is a Beatles sounding song. So um, I'm, I'm with you on both of those counts. I, I like that outro where they sing or where they list all the couples, the real life couples that they know. Boy, that's kind of heartbreaking to find out that only one couple was still together and still in love. The rest of them hang them. I guess, but man, this was a decent song. Fits the album. Yeah. And see, I didn't think this one fit the album at all. I thought it was pretty upbeat and he actually had a little guitar to open it up, which I'm like, holy shit, what's that? And it's a faster pop song. And you know, the thing I didn't like about this song was the complete stop at the end. It just cut. I don't know, but I thought this was the most 11 songs in this album. I thought this was the most upbeat, just kind of rock and roll poppy Mm -hmm. sounding song to me. All right. That moves us on to the last song in the album, which is, I would say, probably the most well-known song mm-hmm. and probably what most well-known song by the Zombies. It's the only one I've heard. Yeah. It's written by Rod Argent, same by Colin Blundstone, and it's Time of the Season. Like I said, most recognized song by them on this album for certain and mm-hmm. possibly their most recognizable song. Now, Rod Argent has said in interviews the song was inspired by George Gershwin's jazz standard, Summertime, which if you've heard that song, it's a pretty mm-hmm. decent song. The band actually released that song, a cover on that song on their first album. This song does, if you listen, lyrics really careful. It reminisces through the whole album about the seasons and the times changing and things like that. This is kind of an, you know, a roundup of everything on the album. This song is the song that did cause a rift in the studio between Blundstone and Argent. Argent had written the song and Blundstone was singing it. Blundstone was having a hard time hitting the higher notes, and I guess it was pissing Argent off. And they, it's they up there. about come to fisticuffs with it. So this song was released as a single initially and didn't do anything. But then it was released as a single in 1969, basically two years after they had recorded it, after the band had been broken up for a year and had friends of mine as the B-side. And it was a hit. It hit number three in the U.S., number one in Canada. It is certified gold in the U.S. I'm sure you've heard this song if you've listened Mm -hmm. to any rock and roll radio, you know, or classic rock radio. There you go. After this song become a surprise hit, because it was in the U.S., the band had broken up, so they decided to get the band back together and tour, but they did it without Colin Blundstone and... They couldn't get anybody's vocals to sound the same, and so it was very, very short-lived. And a lot of people think this album even and this song and everything here, maybe it was just, you know, a lot of people said this song was a hit a couple years after it was recorded. Maybe they were ahead of their time. I disagree. I think this is just the only good song on the album, and that's why it was a hit. It's been covered by a lot of bands, most famously the Guess Who do a very good rendition of it. What do you think of Time of the Season? This song, it is the their... They're most popular. It's their most well-known. This is a song that, I mean, it's the only one that I've heard before on this album. And uh, so I'm familiar with it. What th- This is your stereotypical keyboard, strong, hippie music for about Summer of Love type stuff. And I think that's why people really latched onto it, because the Summer of Love, this was very reminiscent of that era. So, But yeah, it's it's up there with the um, with the vocals. 
they hit some high notes and Rod Argent, little Tim Burton, he keeps, I don't know why he keeps it up there so high, but his well, he, work, d- he just wrote the lyrics. Oh, just wrote the lyrics? Yeah, it was Colin Blundstone that sings, oh. which is what caused the riff because yeah. Rod Argent was trying to get Colin to hit those notes and he yeah. was having a hard time and it yeah. was, I guess was pissing Argent off. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, you can only ask so much of people. <laughs> yeah. You don't really think about it too much, but when you listen to the song, you know, and this is the song goes, what's your name? Who's your daddy? And is he rich like me? This is a song that's very weird. This is a song that should strike me to the core with as odd and weird as sounding as is and how much I love songs like that. Yeah, it's not one of my favorites. Uh, Where do you stand on this one? I'm going to be completely honest with you. I like this song. I've always liked it. It's the only song I like on the album. (laughs) It does suffer a little bit of overplay to a certain extent, but... That's overplay mm-hmm. in the zombies. I mean, a lot of people couldn't even tell you who the zombies are, right? Sure. It's got a great recognizable intro. It has the best intro on the whole album because mm-hmm. it's not piano. It's got the good keyboard and stuff in it. Mm-hmm. And I think the keyboard throughout is great. It's got little guitar licks in it that are nice to hear finally. It's kind of reminiscent for me because I've liked this song since I was real young. I mm-hmm. I did a lot of poetry in high school and stuff, and I made a poetry book. And mm-hmm. the name of my poetry book was Time of the Season. Oh. And so it kind of, for me, has a special feeling there. I The keyboard solos, it has two different breaks where it does keyboard solos, and I think those are really good. Mm-hmm. It's the first time in the album anything solos over anything, which I really like, and the bass is very heavy and it's mixed. And the one thing I can say about this song, whether you like it or don't, this song is produced the best. You can hear the instruments, you can hear the vocals, Everything's mixed forward. It sounds good. Where the other ones always have either the vocals are muddy or the instruments are muddy, and it's almost like they put time and effort into this one, but not the other ones. I think this is a quintessential '60s British invasion sound, and mm-hmm. I wish this album had more of this. But it is what it is. So, do you want to get winners and losers? I think so. Winners and losers. I'm gonna go with two and two two least favorites you're gonna go with two least and two favorites give me your two least first surprisingly time of the season was one of my least favorites and i should have that should have been one of my favorites but dang it rod argent you weird little man you've lost me okay (laughs) i i just i don't get you little tim burton guy you're you're odd you're weird I have no idea what you're trying to say in this song. Did he compose it, or who who did the compose? Like, yeah, he he wrote it and composed it. Okay, you, you've got some ability, you've got some talent, you little schmuck. But man, well, you know, Colin Blundstone did not like this song. That's fair, and didn't want it released or something mm-hmm. like that. And and maybe that had more to do with because it was Argent's song and they'd fought over it or something like that. Yeah. But yeah, he didn't think the song was very good, which. Really mm-hmm. makes me lose credibility for him and you, but go ahead. That's fine. My other least favorite is Hung Up on a Dream. Just too busy of a song. It was a mess. I, I, I couldn't understand what they were saying, and everything just kind of jumbled together. That being my opinions, where where do you stand on your least favorites? Every song is my least favorite, except... <laughs> The first 11. <laughs> Except the final two. I like the final two songs all right. Uh, the two worst, I didn't like Butcher's Tale, mm-hmm. even though you did. I, to me, it just, number one, nothing fits on this album for me personally. I'm not understanding this album. Butcher's Tale and Changes, those mm-hmm. two songs were by far the worst, but 
pick any of the other 10 and call it good, but those two are the worst. What are your, what are your two favorites? Butcher's tail. <laughs> well, I, I knew that's where we were going to be. Yeah. Um, it was one of my favorites. It just does not fit on this album for me. That doesn't match up. Chris White. I love your passion for world war one. Love your writing. You are also a weird little guy, but. I'm I'm also very anti-war myself. You should have not been allowed to borrow John Lennon's Mellotron. You Chris, shouldn't have. Or whoever played it. I yeah. don't know who played it. Doesn't matter. Nobody in this band should be touching John Lennon's Mellotron. My other favorite, uh, Brief Candles. This was a song that um, really made me think. Tying with Brief Candles is Care of Cell 44. I love that weird little song. <laughs> Well, that's kind of, is kind of funny of you because you like the weird little song from Argent, but yeah, time but of the season is. Weird I know for you. that's a weird one too, and I should love it, and I don't know why I'm. Why why am I the way I am? I'm not sure. Why is Rod Argent the way he is? Why is Tim Burton the way he is? These are things that I will never have an answer to. I get it. You have one favorite on here. Well, I think you know Time of the Season by far is my favorite song, but yeah. if I was to pick another one that was my favorite, was the song right before that, Friends of Mine. Okay. I thought it was a very upbeat song. Yeah. It it had a little guitar to open. It was a little faster, and that's the kind of stuff mm-hmm. I'm into. I thought those two songs, I don't know, Side 1 was, it's kind of funny, because I thought Side 1 was very poor compared to Side 2, but the two songs I like the least are on Side 2, but the two songs I like the most are on Side 2, but... That's about the only songs that I really enjoyed. A couple other songs had sections that I liked, but they just didn't come together for me. And way too much piano in the first nine songs. Yeah, one nugget of corn is not enough to make it turn appetizing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Should we get to the album rating? Yeah. Album rating. Okay, Ty, tell them how this goes. Okay, so with uh, if this is your first time listening, <laughs> the, we have a zero to ten scale. And on the zero end, it was uh, the worst, and we burned the album. Uh, we haven't had to burn any albums yet, and you won't even know if we do. We're just going to say we will if we hit, if we hit a zero. If, on the other hand, we have a 10, then I have to buy the album. Once again, you won't know if I actually buy it or not, and I, you know, it's not anybody's business. Hey, I'll say, if it's a 10, I'm going to buy the album. You've lived up to your promise so far. I have. Where we stand... Five being smack dab in the middle. I'm giving this album a three. Um, <laughs> and that's an optimistic three. Uh, time of the season and uh, a couple of other moments in this album. Not even a couple other full songs. Now, uh, you said you didn't like time of the season. I know. <laughs> I'm no. a walking conundrum, even though I'm sitting down. I, I It doesn't make any sense. None of this in this album makes any sense. Look at the album cover, and that doesn't make any sense either. I'm not going to make any sense with my rating. What is your esteem of this? You know, like I stated earlier, I've listened to the Zombies hits for years. I believe I purchased the Zombies Greatest Hits years ago, and it was all right. It has their few few songs that are heard on radio still nowadays, and some others that weren't bad. I've heard for a lot of years that this album was highly considered you know nowadays as being a classic and i would like to know who that is because i don't know if it's my mood i don't know if it's 
the kind of music I like. I love time of the season. And I said that if I heard that song, like I have in the past as a sample of this album, I would be looking for more. And that's what I did. That's why we listened to this album, right? Mm -hmm. That's right. We threw this vinyl on because I, I want to hear more what the zombies have to offer. I no longer want to hear what the zombies have to offer. (laughs) I do not consider this album a classic. I give it a three. That's based on one song and maybe another a tiny bit. And that's the most I can go. I This album does not resonate with me. I don't get it. And I'm sorry for the people that offends, but this to me is not a good album. I won't be revisiting it. Not even for a butcher's tale. <laughs> no, not even for a butcher's tale. That's for certain. So, Oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, zombies, you have talent. The, the band's got talent. Well, uh, Rod Argent has talent. I mean, he sure. went and formed another band, and I've listened to, you know, they had the mm-hmm. famous song, Hold Your Head Up, which is well-known, mm-hmm. and not many others, but I've listened to some Argent songs, mm-hmm. and they're they're decent. Yeah. They're, they're pretty rocking songs, and you know me, I'm into guitars, but I can be taken away from that. You look at Pet Sounds, you look at certain other albums and songs from the Beatles that aren't guitar-driven, and I like them because they're good compositions. Sure. This, this album just is not good, in my opinion. But if you disagree with us, or you agree with us, mm-hmm. or you want to tell us your feelings, send us an email to classicvinylpodcast at gmail.com. Reach out to us anytime you'd like. Give us suggestions uh, on albums you'd like to hear us review, or whatever you want to say to us. We'll uh, read it on the air. And we really appreciate you listening to us, because we know there's a lot of podcasts out there you could listen to, and we're just a couple idiots mm-hmm. that don't know what we're doing. But I do know I don't like this album. So until next time. Thank you. See you later. Thank you so much for listening to Classic Vinyl Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcast or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Classic Vinyl Podcast for updates and also share us with your music-loving friends.